Well, good evening, everyone. It's really nice to see you out uh, tonight. If you've got a Bible, go ahead, please, and uh, open it to Genesis chapter 1, which was the uh, first of the readings that we had. Uh, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this evening. So Genesis uh, chapter 1, particularly verses 28 to 30. Um, we're beginning this, this series um, called Recommissioned. And uh, the topic before us tonight, the title for it is People Who Care for Creation. People Who Care for Creation. And that topic that we're going to deal with and look at tonight uh, is one that is at the very forefront, I think, of the thinking of a lot of people um, in our society. We need to ask the question tonight, how ought we to think biblically uh, about issues related to the creation? That's what we're going to think about. How do we think biblically about how we relate to the creation, and what we're going to do is we're going to consider our attitude, our actions towards God's creation, and to do that we're going to look uh, at Genesis chapter 1, but we'll also look at other parts of the Bible uh, as well. But let's pray, let's ask God to help us as we, as we ask that question. Uh, Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be gathered here this evening as your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is powerful to create all things and to recreate all things. And so, Lord, we pray this evening, as we open up your word and as we look at different parts of it, that you would illumine our understanding. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would be here among us and that you would be our teacher. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to see Jesus and love him all the more. For we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, a few uh, Saturdays uh, ago, I got up earlier than I normally would. Uh, it was a very cold um, morning and uh, I immediately jumped into our gas heated shower. Uh, after that I went downstairs, I switched on uh, the lights, boiled the kettle and brewed up uh, a lovely coffee just to enjoy. Uh, it was as I was enjoying my coffee that our little dog uh, gave me this look that could melt butter and so I uh, decided to take him out for a walk and as we walked along tidied up after him. Whenever I got home then that day I uh, went and filled the car with uh, petrol went to the dump or the recycling center, as it's called, to get rid of all the kind of packaging that had come from Christmas. And then that evening, uh, we cooked some food uh, on our gas hob and in our oven, and we recycled the packaging. Uh, it was basically a completely normal day. There's no punchline to that story. Uh, it was just a normal day in which I made a dozen choices about how to relate to God's creation in different kinds of ways. Animals, birds, insects, trees, fruits, minerals, fuel, waste, all these different things, and interactions with creation about how to, to do it. And the fact is that you and I live days like that all the time. You might not make the same decisions uh, that I made, but all the time you are interacting with God's creation. And the choices that we make uh, about how we interact with the creation uh, actually uh, show all sorts of assumptions that we have about what we believe about how humans should interact with what God has made. And as we come to the, the question tonight of how we, as God's people, ought to live in God's world and how we ought to interact with God's creation, I think it's important to realize that there is a wide spectrum of uh, viewpoint with often unhelpful extremes uh, on both ends. So at one end of the spectrum, uh, you have people over here who essentially believe that humans are a virus uh, destroying the planet. So uh, you and I shouldn't drive cars, we, we shouldn't eat meat, we shouldn't have hot showers, 
we shouldn't even have children because children are supposedly bad for the planet. You've got people at this end of the spectrum, not many, but you've got some. But then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, you've got people who say, well, you know, look, the, the world is going to be burned up anyway. The sun's going to expand. Everything's going to be destroyed. Or there's a kind of religious version of it. They say, look, you know, Jesus is going to come back. God's going to come back, make it all new. So it really doesn't matter how we treat creation in the meantime. You've got these two extremes. And maybe this evening, as you're thinking about this topic of how do you relate to creation, you're thinking, well, I'm not over here. But maybe you think, but I'm also, I'm not over here either. And what we need to do as God's people, as Christian believers, is we need to think clearly about how we ought to live in God's world in a way that ultimately glorifies God. You'd be delighted to hear this evening uh, that I'm not going to spend uh, our time telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing uh, in your day-to-day interactions with creation. I don't think scripture gives me license to do that. But what scripture does do is teach us truths that should inform how we make the choices that we make. And so what we're going to do this evening is give you kind of a framework or a structure for how to think about how we as Christians should interact with God's creation. If you're taking headings, our first heading uh, this evening is this, humanity made to rule over creation under God. Humanity made to rule over creation under God. Have a look with me, please, at Genesis chapter 1, and look at verse 24 through to 28. It says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them both. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now, as we read those uh, verses, some people uh, seize on that word rule in verse 26, or some translations, verse 26, put uh, exercise dominion. And they say, well, there you have it. There you go. Human beings, we are the boss. We are the dominus. We are the rulers of creation. And therefore, we can do whatever uh, we want. But do you notice, verse 26, that the command to rule comes between two other statements that make it clear that human beings are made in God's image. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. So human beings are to rule creation, to rule over creation, but that rule over creation is to be an expression of our identity as those who have been made in God's image. Human beings are to rule over creation, but that is to be an expression of the fact that we've been made in God's image. And Chris Wright, who uh, we're kind of following his book, he explains that concept of the image of God really, really helpfully. 
Uh, listen to what he says about it. He says, kings and emperors in ancient times and even dictators in modern times would set up images of themselves in far-flung corners of their domains. These statues or images proclaimed their sovereignty over that territory and its people. The image represented the authority of the king. Similarly, God installs humanity as his image within creation and authorizes humans to exercise authority. But that is an authority that finally belongs to God, the creator and owner of the earth. I think that's really well put. Uh, we have been made to reflect and to represent God, to image him in the world. And therefore, our rule over creation should be shaped by the reality that we are those who are made in God's image. We are made to reflect him. We're made as rulers over creation, but we rule under God. Uh, another way of putting it is that you and I have an obligation to govern God's world in a way that reflects something of how God governs his creation. Uh, R.C. Sproul, another writer, he says this in one of his books. He says, we are called to reflect the character of God's righteous rule over the universe. He never ravages or exploits what he rules, but rather reigns in justice and kindness. I was trying to think of how to illustrate it uh, this week. Um, a couple of summers ago, uh, Steph and I uh, stayed in the house of a friend. It was this beautiful uh, kind of new build on the north coast, and we just thought it was brilliant. But whenever you s uh, spend time in someone's house, you kind of reflect on how it's a very different experience from when you spend time in a hotel room. So think about the difference between how you spend time in a hotel and how you spend time in someone else's house. Uh, the chances are, I imagine, um, that if you are in a hotel room, uh, you probably leave it in a bit of a mess, within reason. Um, because at the end of the day, you are the boss, you're paying the money, and really someone else will come along and clean up after you. Uh, they even encourage it, don't they? They tell you to, to throw your towels down in the bathroom, which goes against everything you believe in, but you to do it. Um, the chances are, I imagine, though, that you don't strip the bed, make the sheets, uh, vacuum, mop, do all those kind of things. Your attitude is essentially, I can do whatever I want because someone else will come along afterwards and sort it out. But when you're staying in someone else's house, uh, it's a very different story, isn't it, I hope? Uh, we exercise dominion over the house in keeping with the way the owner does. Uh, we have this obligation to manage the home in keeping with the way that they would do it and the way that they expect us to do it. And as we think about who we are as human beings and what our role is in this creation, I suppose the question is, is this world, is this creation more like a hotel room or like a home? And actually, the Bible tells us exactly what it is like. Uh, this creation, uh, it's a house for God. And actually, more than that, it's not just a house for God. This creation is a cosmic temple of God. The earth was designed as a divine residence and God will one day dwell with his redeemed people in a renewed creation. And so this creation is God's home. The world is not our hotel room, but God's house. And therefore we have an obligation to cultivate the house in keeping with the way the owner would do it. And I suppose that leads us to a natural question and that is, so how do we rule? How do we rule in the way that God rules his creation? Well, as you read through Genesis, and particularly chapter one and two, 
One of the ways that becomes really clear about how God rules his creation is that God orders his creation. God takes chaos and brings about order. Uh, All through Genesis, you get these, these parallels where God forms something and then God fills it. He forms it and then he fills it. So for example, God forms the day and night and after he's formed it, he then fills it with the sun and the moon. Or we read about how God forms the waters below and the skies above and then he fills it with birds and fish. Or God forms the land and the vegetation and then he fills it with land mammals. There's this order that is built into creation because that is how God rules his creation. He takes chaos and he creates order. And actually the order of creation reveals something about God. It reveals his beauty his character, and his glory. And human beings are to rule in such a way that reflects the beauty, the character, and the glory of God. Scripture teaches that human beings have been created to rule, to exercise dominion as image bearers in a way that reflects how God governs his creation. When human beings were made in the image of God, we were given this high and this glorious job title and the job title was rulers of the world we're going to sing a song uh, in in a few minutes Uh, and that song is a hymn it's called god all nature sings thy glory and the second verse of that hymn this is what it says it says clearer still we see thy hand in man whom thou hast made for thee ruler of creation's glory image of thy majesty Music, art, the fruitful garden, all the labor of his days are the calling of his maker to the harvest feast of praise. It's beautifully put words, and it's simply describing the fact that you and I, as human beings, have been made to rule over creation under God. That is what we were made to do. We were created with this high and glorious calling. And yet the reality is that we're sitting here tonight and we have fallen so far short of that high and glorious calling. And that leads us to our second heading this evening. Not just humanity created or made as rulers over creation, but humanity rebels against God. We were made with this high calling, but we have, in a word, rebelled against God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, just a page forward. And let's read the first eight verses of Genesis 3, and let's see what happens. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the tree of the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will certainly not die. The snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
We see that humanity were made to be rulers over creation under God, under his authority, but humanity become rebels against God. And humanity's rebellion against our maker, it means that actually that harmonious dominion that we were designed to have over creation actually has become disordered. We go from the order of creation to the disordering of dominion. Uh, Instead of living under God's authority as his righteous rulers, humanity became rebels. And the order of creation turns to disorder. And we see this disorder emerge all through the pages of Genesis. So Adam and Eve, uh, they were called to rule over creation. But instead of ruling over creation, did you see what happened? The snake in the garden, which was itself a creature, uh, the snake ruled over them. Instead of them having dominion over the snake, the snake had dominion over them. And then you read later of uh, the story of Noah. Uh, What does Noah do after the flood? Well, he plants a vineyard and then he gets drunk and exposes his nakedness. Rather than Noah exerting dominion over the earth, the fruit of the earth, the grapes, the grapes exert dominion over Noah. There's this disordering of dominion. And you know, that is the story of all human beings who live downstream of Adam. We were made to be rulers of the world, but we have become rebels. And our dominion over creation has become disordered. And we see that disorder in the prevalence of all kinds of addictions today, don't we? So rather than ruling over created things, created things rule over us. Money, alcohol, drugs, sex, social media, you name it. And the question is, why do these things so easily enslave us and dominate us? Well, it's because rulers have become rebels. And with this in mind, we need to be careful that we don't agree with any kind of environmentalism that portrays humanity itself as the problem, a so-called virus on the earth. No, according to scripture, human beings are not the problem. The problem is humanity's sin. And therefore, the answer to the disorder that we see all around us in the world is not getting rid of humanity, but getting rid of sin. And there's only one person, isn't there, who can deal with sin, Uh, that's Jesus Christ. The one who was God and yet took on human flesh, who became like one of us. And yet he lived a perfect life of dominion over creation. He showed it in his miracles. He had authority over nature. But he also lived not only showing dominion and exercising dominion over creation, but he lived a perfectly righteous life under the authority of his father. Do you notice that the first Adam here in Genesis, he failed to exercise dominion over the serpent. But then Jesus comes and he crushes the serpent and he does so on our behalf. So the Bible paints this picture of humanity made to rule over creation under God's authority and yet becoming rebels against God. And that's where the good news of Christianity can speak into this question of caring for creation. And that leads us to our final point, which is this humanity restored to God. Humanity restored to God. 
Uh, sin brings chaos into creation, and that ultimately leads to judgment. But the good news of the Christian faith is that God is committed to redeeming and restoring his creation. Uh, the gospel is all about redemption for rebels and future restoration of all things. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to provide redemption for rebels like you and me. Our sin puts us at war with God, at war with each other, and at war with our world. But then we read in Colossians 1.19 of how God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Christ, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Not just redemption for rebels, but the restoration of all things. That's what the gospel provides for our world. Uh, this week I was uh, looking something up. There's a very uh, famous brand or popular brand at the minute called Patagonia. I don't know if you uh, wear Patagonia. If you still think you're cool like I do, you might uh, be tempted to wear it. But uh, Patagonia are, are a great business. They do lots of different things that appeal to people um, and therefore people like to buy their product. But on their website, uh, I read this week something um, that they said. Uh, they said this. They said, we are in the business of saving the planet. We are in the business of saving the planet. Doesn't that sound good? It sounds great, but it's complete fantasy. Because scripture is very clear about humanity's inability to deal decisively with the problems created by its own sin. Uh, more effort, more unity of purpose will not bring salvation. Uh, humanity cannot deal with its own sin, which is the fundamental cause of all the disorder we see around us in our world. No, the solution rests in Christ alone. God become man who lived a life of righteousness but died a rebel's death in our place, rose from the dead three days later, and in doing so conquered sin and death and made a way for the restoration of relationship with God the Father, for the restoration of relationship with our fellow human beings, and for the restoration of creation itself. As Christian believers, you and I, we should reject the destructive effects of human sin on the environment, but we must do so while also proclaiming that there is only one way out of the mess that has been created by our sin, and it is not us. Christ is our only hope. Uh, he deals with the much deeper problem of which the creational disorder is only a part. Christ deals with our sin. And so as Christians, we hold on to the hope that one day he will return. And when he returns, only then will we see the destruction of our world undone forever. And maybe as you, you hear that, framework that I've tried to lay out this evening, it still leaves a lot, I'm sure, of your questions unanswered. Uh, it doesn't tell us whether we should use plastics or planes. It doesn't tell us what our net zero target should be or whether we should have one. It doesn't tell us how we should balance different goods. If we do one thing, that could lead to people being lifted out of poverty. But if we do that, that might harm some area of our world. 
We don't get all the answers to all these particular questions. But what a biblical framework will do is it will reorient us to live by faith and not by fear. It'll drive us to Christ alone for salvation and hope. And it will motivate us to act in a way that ultimately reflects God's glory. This world, this creation, is not an afterthought. God is committed to removing its bondage to decay. We heard that as we read that passage in Romans. And therefore, we should care for God's good world and seek to cultivate it and order it, just as God commanded Adam and Eve to do so. But we need to guard against the notion that any kind of human action will somehow usher in a new heavens and a new earth. No, the restoration of creation is ultimately God's work and God's work alone. Well, as we finish, uh, I was reflecting this week that this question, this uh, question of, of how we ought to treat the world, it's really quite similar, isn't it, to the question of how we ought to treat our bodies. Uh, we believe as Christians that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, subject to bondage to decay, but eagerly awaiting a glorious resurrection. And in a similar way, creation is ultimately going to be a temple of the living God. It is subject to the bondage to decay, and it itself awaits a glorious resurrection and renewal. And you and I, while we wait for Christ to return and to renew all things as he says he will, well, we need to honor God, don't we, in our bodies, and we need to honor God in our world. Uh, people love to talk about little pithy things to, to remember. So a few years ago, you'll remember people said, what was it, reduce, reuse, and recycle. That's one thing. But as Christians, we need to go deeper. We need to see beyond the surface to the core of the issue. We need to remember that we were made to be rulers. We became rebels. But praise God, in his mercy and in his grace, you and I have been restored. And we've been restored in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray as we finish. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that as we open up your word, you answer all of the questions that we have about all of life. Lord, we thank you that you made humanity to rule over creation under you. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we have rebelled against you. And yet, Lord, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, you have restored us to yourself, to each other, and to our world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in our work, in our families, in every area of life that we live, that we might rule well over your creation, that we might order our lives in a way that reflects how you order your world. And Lord, we ask that everything we do would ultimately be done to glorify your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. <clears throat>